faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. These are superpowers. Everyone wishes they had them, but only some do. You do know they walk among us. No, really, we do. Honestly, I try not to do that very often in my suit because uh, it's dusty. You got to take the suit to the cleaners every, every single time. But uh, no, it, it, uh, it seems like the movie theaters these days are saturated with stories of superpowers. Um, over the Christmas break, my, my family and I, we went to, uh, saw Aquaman. Pretty cool. I, I like that. Saw Aquaman. Uh, Nick, my, my son and I, before that, we went and saw uh, the Spider-Man into the, the Spider-Verse, which it's animated, and so I, I, I was thinking, how good can this be? And I, it was actually good. I, I like the story. Um, coming in March, uh, Captain Marvel coming out. Uh, coming in April, uh, Avengers, right? Endgame. It's, it's on the way. It, it just seems like, and, and I'm admitting to you uh, that I like that kind of stuff. I do. I like Marvel. I like DC. I like it all. And for the record, I love Wonder Woman. <laughs> because I married her. Oh, you see what I did there? Watch and learn, Grasshopper. That, this, is, this is how you do. So the question is, why are we talking about this at church? And this is the reason. You need to know that when you are connected to Jesus, there is super power at work in your life. I'm not talking about something fantasy. I'm talking about real power, more powerful than anything that we tend to see on a theater screen. It's real power. The text that we're going to anchor for this series is in the book of Galatians, all right? So I want to encourage you to find it. Uh, if you got app on your phone, if you got a Bible today, I want to encourage you to find it. And if you, if you don't have that set up, then I want to encourage you as we start this year, starting 2019, that crazy, it's going to take a while to shift the gears on the numbers, get one, all right? Either get you a Bible Get you an app, get however, so that, so that certainly when we're in these times together, you can find it, you can follow along, but, but also that, that's just going to be in place so that you can use it every day, honestly. Galatians is the book we're going to be in. So it's in the second part, all right, it's called the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you got Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians, all right? And, and it's worth finding even if we were just doing it today, but it's definitely worth finding because we're going to go back to these. It's really about a verse and a half that we're going to go back to as our launching point every single week. So Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is our anchor point. Here's what it says. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance is the word here. I've put the word patience in parentheses. And the reason I put the word patience in parentheses is because it is often translated that way, and that's the way that I have learned it for much of my life. And so it's going to tend to be the way that I say it in this series. You're going to hear me use that word. And so probably after today, I'll just put patience on the screen because it's, it's just, it's how, it's how I've learned it. It's how it's, it's, it's in here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You say, okay, so where's the power part? This is supposed to be about superpower. Where is the power part? Well, in this case, the power part doesn't come from a serum. It doesn't come from a spider. The power part for us comes from, what's the word? Spirit. Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to see every single week, the source of the superpower is the Spirit. The source of the superpower that we will be talking about every week, it's It is the Spirit. So, let's do a little theology work this morning. Who, what is the Spirit, right? What what is the Spirit? First of all, the Spirit, he's God. He's God. He he is divine. We, We believe in the biblical picture of what's called the Trinity, The Trinity is that there is one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. You say, that sounds like three. I know, three persons, but one God. You say, explain that to me. I just did. And there is nothing else in the world that is equivalent to that picture. Nothing else. We try to use all kinds of other analogies to go, it's kind of like this. Nothing else is like God, who is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. That means not only is the Spirit God, but the Spirit is eternal. Always has been, always will be. In the first chapter of the Bible, he's there. First, actually second verse in your Bible, he's there. Eternity past, we see the picture of him. Last chapter of your Bible, he's there. Eternity future. He always has been, he always will be. He's God, he's eternal, but he's also personal. We're not talking about the force be with you. He is not just a force. Jesus said, I will send him to you. This is about relationship. This is something personal. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not an it. It's he. He is personal. This is relationship. The Holy Spirit is also at work. 
He's at work in the world today. And we're going to kind of unpack this one throughout this series. But I, I just simply want you to know going in day one, he wants to work in all the settings of your life. He wants to work in your home setting, in your work setting, in your play setting, in every area of your life. He is at work. And the last one, I want us to make sure we understand the Spirit dwells in Christians. He doesn't just influence us, he lives, he dwells in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 gives us this truth. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in buildings, right? We... we I don't know. We once purchased a building from another church, and when we made the purchase of the building from another church, they informed us that they were taking the Holy Spirit with them. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. But I'm going to tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in buildings. The Holy Spirit resides in people. But what people does he reside in? He resides in those who have turned in faith to Jesus who by grace through faith have entrusted their life to Jesus, following him, the Spirit, his Spirit comes to dwell within us. And when he is in you, then he grows you. Where he is present, then there is growth. Thus the image in Galatians of fruit. All right? Let's go back. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> the Spirit is the source of the superpower. But, but what, what is he doing in us? It is this word fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the word that's used to describe joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit grows when it's connected to the tree. Well, that's the image we grow When we are connected to Jesus, his spirit that dwells in us. In other words, what we're talking about throughout this series is is not us manufacturing change. This is not a how-to manual for, for your best life, simply settling for behavior modification. That is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about, what we're really after, is a total life transformation that only the Spirit of God can do in us. Only His superpower can do such a thing. Now, I want you to notice something about this word, fruit, that I think often goes overlooked when when we just read this text. This word is singular, all right? It's singular. And so I I want you to recognize that that we're going to do a little English here, all right? You, You can remember your fourth grade English, right? That when a when a noun is singular, and a verb is singular, what I'm sure you remember is that the direct object of that must also be singular, all right? Three of you answered and everybody else just glassed over as soon as I said direct object, right? When I said direct object, you went, (gasps) right? Hang on. 
when a, when, a, when a noun is singular and a verb is singular, then a direct object is singular. And the same is true if a verb is plural and a noun is plural and a verb is plural, then a direct object is plural. But when we read this text, it doesn't look this way. It looks like we've got the fruit, which, which is a singular word. But then when we get to the direct objects, it's like Paul is listing this plural list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's going on here? Well, I can assure you that Paul knows his grammar. He's a smart man. He knows his grammar. And he's showing us something, I think, very significant about what we're dealing with here. Here's the first thing that I would tell you. The Spirit doesn't just change one aspect of your life. He changes everything. When the Spirit dwells in you, and he starts this process of change and growth, superpower at work. He doesn't just change one aspect of your life. He changes everything. But what I want you to see about this, this word and this context and this sex, all of those traits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those traits make up the singular evidence of the singular work of the Spirit in your life. Now hang on with me, I'm gonna, we're gonna get this. All those traits together make up the singular evidence, singular verb, singular noun, singular direct object, although there's nine things mentioned. It is the singular evidence of the singular work of the Spirit in your life. <coughs> Excuse me, I made it all the way to January before I got this and I'll hold it all the way to March. So it's just the way it works, all right? All of those traits, every one of those traits, those, that list is part of a nine-fold singular composite whole. It means this. When the Spirit's working in your life, you will not just become more loving. You will also become more joyful. It's, it's together, it's singular. You will not just develop more self-control. You will also grow in gentleness and faithfulness and kindness. See what I'm saying? You will not, he, he, it will not just be one area or, or two areas. It, it is a singular aspect. All those things together, he is growing, he is working, he is changing in your life. And if that is not the case, if it is just a matter of, well, you know, th this, this area I seem to be strong in and this area I'm growing in, but, but uh, the, then it, it might be that, that those really are not fruit of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that as we roll through because we can deceive ourselves in those things sometimes. But all of those traits, all nine, all of them make up the singular evidence of the singular work of the Spirit in your life. And in this series, we will get to all nine. Now, some weeks I might pair them up. Um, some weeks we might put a few of them together. But we're going to look at all of them, and today we're just going to start with the first one. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, that's a little one to start with, isn't it? Love. What, what, is, what is that? No, like really, what, what is that? 
Well, in order to define each one of these, we're going to go to the source. We're going to go to the one who perfectly displays each of these. That's Jesus. Here's how Jesus defines when he talks about love. John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. No greater picture, no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so the question we're going to ask each week is this kind of question, okay, what does that mean then? What does love look like where I live? What, is, what does that look like in my house? What does that look like where I work? What does that look like where I play? What does that description that Jesus just gave me, what does that look like? Now here's our dilemma. Our dilemma is that we live in a culture, we we live in a world, I suppose I would say, where love, the picture of love is so muddy that most of the time people can't even recognize it. Do a search for love. Just make sure it's a safe search, right? But you do a safe search for love, and you get images of hearts and hugs and smooches, right? Like this. Yeah. That's it. You, you, you search love, and, and this is the image that you get. I mean, how sweet is that, right? Hearts and hugs and, 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 and smooches, it's, just, it's, just, it's, that, it's that, you know, what, what makes me feel tingly inside. It is a juvenile sentimentality, honestly. You do a biblical search for love, and this is what you get. Hmm. A man on a cross life laid down, nails through his hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, a sacrifice. This is the super power of love. What he did for us, the taking of our punishment, the being of our substitute, dying in our place but rising again, breaking the power of sin and death over us. When we define love, love doesn't start with what we do. Love doesn't start with how we behave. No, love starts with him. Here's, here's the way it's said in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the definition that we work with. So, how does that grow in your life? Right, if we're, we're moving away from hearts and hugs and, and kisses, not, nothing wrong with those, but, but that's not the foundation of this thing. So, so, if it's a picture of the sacrifice, if 
If it, how does that grow in our life? How do, we, how do we live that? How does the Spirit produce that kind of fruit in our life? Well, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, and I think today, as you get the context in chapter 5 of where these verses fall, it'll help us understand how to answer that question. Let's go back to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's, that's the freedom that I just described to you, a freedom from our sin, a freedom from death. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the, what's the next word? Flesh. Yeah, I want you to kind of just hold that word because we're going to come back and talk to it, about it, not to it, all right? Flesh. Rather, all right, that, that gives you the, the idea of we've got a word, and when you say rather, that means we've got a contrast. So do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, check out this line, serve one another humbly in love. We're going to come back to that one too, but let's keep reading. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. All right, let's talk about this. Flesh. He uses this word flesh. What, what does that mean? When the Bible talks about the flesh, it is describing that part of us, who we are, that desires everything that is opposed to God and his will. It is that part of us that is marred, that is shaped by sin, that focuses on self. The flesh is self-indulgent. And left to itself leaves no room for me to be concerned about you. It leaves no room to be concerned about others. He says right here, this is where flesh goes. It devours, it consumes, it pits your desires against the wishes of others, and it leaves you in this dog-eat-dog kind of worldview that says, I better get to you before you get to me. That's the flesh. And he says, don't indulge that. Don't indulge that. Rather, here was the phrase, serve one another humbly in love. So you got the flesh or you got what we're going to love. Either the flesh loves me, it's about me, self-indulgent, or love which moves the other direction toward you. And the way that love is lived out is, is, he says it is to serve. Now Jesus once gave this amazing picture of what it was to love, what it was to serve when he washed his own disciples' feet. It was like this shocking moment just when they are grasping who Jesus is in his, in his power, in his authority, he washes his disciples' feet. And just to kind of give you the quick picture, we're talking about a day where most of the time people walked everywhere. Uh, we're talking about dusty roads, streets. I mean, when you went places, your feet were dirty. And so 
to wash them regularly would be a, just a part of what everyone would practice, but normally it would be the role of a servant to wash someone else's feet. And Jesus washed their feet. Serve one another humbly in love. All right. So what does that look like in your house? And what does that look like in my house? <laughs> You're like, I ain't washing nobody's feet. Well, it could look like washed dishes, though. Could look like washed dishes. Well, why would I want to do that? Who likes washing dishes? Well, when you love, it's one of those things that you have the opportunity to do that says, I will serve my family humbly. To expect that somebody else is always going to do that. Hmm. But no. Okay, the dishes are dirty. I'll, I'll wash them. For a lot of us, it's a lot of trouble. We put them in the dishwasher and push the button, right? But hey, in, in your house, okay, maybe you're not going to wash feet, but may, maybe it's washing babies, right? You got little ones. Okay, I'll change that diaper. Boy, we're getting practical now, are we? Okay, I'll give them a bath tonight. Won't you just chill out? Just take a minute, go, if you want to read something, you want to watch something, you want to do something, I'll, I'll, take, care of, I'll take care of the baby washing tonight. How can I help? Where is it needed? Last night, last night somebody cared for my child so that me and Wonder Woman could go to dinner. Somebody loved us. I really did find my heart humbled last night when I'm, there were grown men, grown men who could have chosen to do anything they wanted to do last night. But a handful of them spent three hours standing outside making sure that those buildings, our children, were as safe as they could be. Hmm. Serve humbly in love. That, that, that sounds like a long way from, hmm, what's best for me tonight? Well, what's the, what's the best thing, right? right how, how do I want to serve me tonight? That was a long way. Right now, some of you, your, your kids went to children's church. Right now, someone is serving you in love. They're serving your kids. They're serving you. It is to put aside what I desire, and instead it is what do 
you need or even what do you desire. Many people, many, many people will display evidence of love. The, the, the trick is few will do it when it's inconvenient. Most people like displaying love when it's convenient. That's our game. Therefore, we can all go, oh, we do, we are loving, we are loving. But what it means is we, we, we are loving when it is most convenient for us. The phrase that I would use, this is going to freak some of y'all out, don't go running out of the room. To love this way is like surrendering the remote control of your life. <gasps> right? That you would give up the remote control. Right? When the Chiefs are playing, no, that, went, that was too far. That was too far. I know, that was too far. It was too far. I'm saying, though, to think about giving up the remote control of your life. That instead of what I want to watch, it's what, what, what do you need? Biblical love is a thousand of those little decisions. Dishes washed. Babies cared for. It is a thousand of those little decisions. And that requires that you gotta slow down. It requires that you gotta notice in your home, in your work. Wouldn't it be cool that like when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, that he would like issue glasses? Like glasses, they come to you in the mail, you know, somehow you trust in Jesus and like within three days, you get a pair of glasses and you put the glasses on and suddenly you start to see the needs of other people. Suddenly you start to see the hurts of other people. I'm convinced that if God issued such, most of us would not choose to wear them most days. Well, why would you say that? Because he has already given you superpower to see. He has already given you superpower to love. It's just that some days we choose not to wear those eyes. <clears throat> Anybody remember uh, what it is for uh, Superman, since he, he's kind of the, the, the lead guy in this? Anybody remember for Superman what the weakness, Superman's weakness? Kryptonite. Kryptonite. That's exactly right. Right? And kryptonite was kind of cool looking. It's always that green looking, something you know, like, doesn't look that dangerous, but man, it'll, it'll put Superman on his knees, right? Well, I think there's some, what, what's the kryptonite that often keeps us from loving in this way? I think one could, is just that self-centered worldview. It is when, it is, it is, look, you deserve this. You, it, is, it is everywhere around us, and what I think happens in many cases is that Jesus followers try to play this game and how do I serve in love. And we're convinced that that's okay. We're convinced that that's okay because we hear it so much around us. But I'm telling you, it's like kryptonite, man. That the superpower, you don't experience it when this is how you live. It could be laziness. It's the way I describe it. It could be, could be laziness. It's, it's this picture of, of well, I, I work and I work long hours, and so there's just, there's just not, I, I just don't have anything left to serve. And I'm telling you, you haven't yet experienced the supernatural aspect of how this works. Because, come on, some of you got this. The way that you love your spouse, let's say, for example, you have grown in that in such a, 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 a unique way that the way, guys, you serve her or, ladies, the way you serve him, when you do that, it doesn't drain you. 
It actually gives you strength. It actually gives, when you really love. When you really love, it, it is actually a strength building. There is superpower connected. I'm not saying you don't need to rest. You, you got to rest. When, when you serve, that's why God builds that in, right? Every seven days, he's saying you got to rest, and some of us don't, and then suddenly we, we, we pay the price for that. We've talked about that. But, but no, it's just sometimes I think when we are weary out of serving in love, it is the indication of maybe my motive hasn't exactly been love. Maybe I'm doing this for some other reasons. One more, I'm going to call it the pace of life. Pace of life is just crazy. Pace of life is crazy. Here's the announcement. You get to control that. No, I don't. It's just a pace of life. No, you do. You do. Now, the price to control it is what you got to decide if you're willing to pay. But you can control it to the place that you can slow down and begin to see the people around you, to see the hurts around you, to see the needs around you. But it is this fight. It is this fight that goes on in us. There's an old story. Um, it's, been, it's been printed in several places. I'm just going to read it to you today so that you get the picture. A Native American elder once described his own inner struggles in this manner. Inside of me there are two dogs. One of the dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. When asked which dog wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, the one I feed the most. I love that image as we step into the next part of this text and how Paul describes walking out. We got the flesh and we got the spirit. Here's what he says, verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. Don't overthink that. All right? Some of you are already thinking treadmill because it's New Year. You're thinking treadmill. Part of your New Year is I, gotta, I need to be on the treadmill. So that treadmill's moving, and as long as you are stepping, you're good. But when you stop stepping, what happens? You fall back. That's the picture here. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's selfish stuff. But when you stop stepping with him, you fall back into that selfishness. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in, everybody say it, conflict. That's a fight. Two dogs. We got a fight going on here. Each contrary to the other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer in him, if you are a Christian, there is a war that goes on inside of you. And it is a fight between these two entities. The Spirit is cultivating New characteristics in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He is, he is cultivating those characteristics according to the new identity that you have in Jesus. But the flesh 
is trying to choke those things out and to pull you back into how you used to operate before Jesus was your king. Here's a statement I want to start to resonate with us. Whose you are transforms who you are and changes what you do. Whose you are, who you belong to, that transforms who you are, and it changes what you do. So here's how Paul, here's how he writes this out. Here, here's how he describes it. First, we get the picture of the flesh, all right? Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. You're going to love these. These are real encouraging. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's like, this is, this is what self looks like when the flesh controls. This is what it looks like when you live for you, when it's about what, what you desire. For, forget the concerns of other people. But then, but then, Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to know who you are, you get a clue by looking at what you do. But the only thing that will truly change who you are and what you do is whose you are. And that's why Paul follows those two lists with this statement, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, I, that, that, I get that. Crucifixion, crucifixion was um, the preferred means of punishment in that day. Now I want you to get what this text is saying, all right? Before, let's go back, verse 24. Before you can crucify the flesh, you got to belong to who? Jesus. You can't wage war on this on your own. The only way you're going to have the power to do this is to belong to him. You can't know the effect of him in your life until you know him. But when you do, then you, can, you, the, you crucify the flesh. Now, I'm telling you, that is both frustrating and comforting. The reason that it's frustrating is because crucifixion is typically a lengthy process. There's a process involved. There's time involved. When they would crucify people, that normally didn't happen in just a day. Sometimes it would last up to a week. It was slow. It was painful. And death would only come when the victim became too weak to physically lift themselves up to breathe again. As they are dying and hanging on that cross, they eventually, they, 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 they suffocate. And when they lose the strength to be able to lift up and breathe again, that last breath is taken. 
I think that's the picture that Paul's trying to paint for us here. The the flesh, it it is a crucified victim. For those of you who belong to Jesus, that old self, it is a crucified victim. But get this, it will do whatever it can till its dying breath to wage war on what the Spirit is doing in your life, trying to pull you back into that old way. But here's the comfort. The comfort is... It's dying. If you belong to Jesus, that flesh has been crucified and it will not win in the end. It will die. But if you keep feeding it, it will prolong and intensify the fight. Because you know If I really want to gain control over this eating thing, let's say, then I have to stop indulging that impulse to snack. If you want the freedom from pornography, you have to stop indulging that impulse to look. If you want to stop yelling at the people in your house that, that you, you really do love, you have to stop indulging that impulse to yell. If you want to quit smoking, if you want to quit gossiping, we could build however big a list you want. If you want to be done with those things that are in the end destroying you, then you have to stop indulging those impulses. And when you are feeding that crucified part, Just know that it is attempting to undo the superpower that the Spirit is working in you. The flesh and the Spirit are always at war. Which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. So how do we do that? We're almost done, but thank goodness he gives us this, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He leads, I follow. He directs, I obey. He speaks, I'm I'm with him. He convicts, I repent. Keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, but what does that really look like? Here's, Here's how I think this looks. The Bible tells us that the Spirit... The Spirit glorifies Christ. The Spirit points to Jesus. So how does that happen? How does he he glorify Christ? Well, he works works in and through our trust in Jesus. So, So here's the picture. Jesus does something for you. Well, he died for you. He rises for you. He's made promises for you. I will be with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I love you. And when you trust him in those promises, he's pouring out his love into your heart by his spirit, and you trust in that love that then in turn makes you see the hurts around you, makes you see the needs around you, and leads you to love. Out of being loved, you are loving 
Who gets the credit for that? Well, who started it? Jesus did. It was his love. It was his promise. It was his word. When you see that and when you trust that and then when you live that out, it points to Jesus. Christ gets the glory because we are standing in his love. This is not a war we're going to win on our own power. It's when we are rooted in him. Because whose you are transforms who you are and changes what you do. When I finally just kind of decided, hey, this is the direction we're going to go to start the year, I, I, I did a little search, um, which I often do. It's just like, you know, searching this topic, let's say. And here's what I discovered. Church people, church people tend to talk a lot more about what the Spirit can give us than we talk about how the Spirit changes us. In other words, you are going to find Many, many, many times over, much more information and much more Bible study on things like the gifts of the Spirit than you will the fruit of the Spirit. Check it out yourself. You will find study after study on gifts of the Spirit. Tell me what my gifts are. Tell me what I can do. I, I, I want to know how to, how to teach, how to lead, how to preach, how to prophesy. Tell me what my gifts are. Tell me what I can do. And much, much less study is connected to how the Holy Spirit changes us. I wonder if our preference to discuss gifts of the Spirit over the fruit of the Spirit doesn't actually reveal what our heart really mostly wants from God, what we'd rather have is to be empowered, not changed. I just want power to do stuff, not the power to be changed. And I wonder if the evidence is the vast number of moral failures that we see even in ministry. I'm talking about church, not even just pastors, but people, church people who are in ministry. The number of moral failures, could it be that our talents and our gifts have outpaced our character? We know our gifts, but we have been hesitant to let him change our And so our talents and our gifts have outpaced our character. The Spirit does give you gifts. But the good news is he is after a far greater work in your life. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Most of us want God to use us to change the world in our lifetime. But we forget that at the same time, it will also take a lifetime for God to change us. Let him change you by his spirit and as you do he will use you to glorify him God I'm asking you to do that in us 
I'm asking you to show us, God, the need that we have for you to change us, God, inside out. And I think, it, I think it's true, God. I think it's typically true of me. And maybe, God, there would be a number of us in this room who would have agreed. God, we, we are far more excited at times about learning about the gifts that you give. God, talents and, and abilities and what can we do? What can we do? And, God, we have neglected at times to focus on the superpower that is at work within us, changing our character, changing our heart, how we love. God, I'm asking that you'd give us wisdom. I'm asking that you'd give us insight. I'm asking that by your spirit, you'd help us to understand that we would want this, God, more than we want anything else. Because we want you more than we want anything else. So God, this week, we're about to sing it, but I'm asking you to help us to live it, that we would know what it means to stand in your love. God, I'm asking that as some dishes are washed this week and um, maybe some babies are washed this week, and God, whatever else you call us to, to wash this week, that God, it would be because there's something powerful going on inside of us to serve humbly in love. God, give your kids a taste of that supernatural power when it's done in a genuine heart. There is nothing else like this in the world. God, I pray for those who may be here today that they, they can't say yet that they belong to you, but it's, it's whose we are that changes who we are. So God, I'm asking you to open eyes, help us to see the truth of how you love us for the folks who are here, for the folks who are hearing my voice. They are, they are investigating who you are. God, will you, will you give us eyes that can see the truth of how you love? I thank you for what you're gonna do. We, we depend on you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. If you'll stand with me, we're going to sing. There'll be some folks around the edge of this room. If you need some prayer today, we would be honored to do so. I thank you for listening today. I love you. God bless.